Hello and greetings and welcome to the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston, thanking you once again for making us a part of your day, however you may be listening and wherever you are in the world. We're glad to have you. We're also glad to have our partner, Life Reimagined. Their website is lifereimagined.org slash happy. They've got all kinds of processes for you to try out, all kinds of resources for you to consider as you make that journey toward peak happiness. Because as you awaken to the power of happiness, so do your dreams, so what's next? Find out at lifereimagined.org slash happy. Well, we've been talking about a lot lately how the secret to lasting happiness is actually simple. In Live Happy's new book, Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy, you can discover how easy everyday acts lead to lifelong joy and fulfillment proven by the latest research in positive psychology. And the cool thing about this book is it's got the science in there, but then it's also got some stories that you can relate it to and see it actually in practice. And the book is available online in bookstores across the nation as well. You can go to choosingjoybook.com for more information, and we certainly encourage you to do so as you are tooling around line today, tonight, whatever time it might be in your part of the world. Now, in this episode of Live Happy Now, our own Deborah Heiss is going to speak with Kenneth Pargman on one of 10 practices for choosing joy, spirituality. Kenneth has a Ph.D. in clinical psychology and is a professor emeritus of psychology at Bowling Green University and is also the author of The Psychology of Religion and Coping and Spirituality Integrated Psychotherapy, Understanding and Addressing the Sacred. Let me welcome Ken Pargament to the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm really thankful that Ken has agreed to speak with us today because one of the challenges that we have is finding someone to have an intelligent conversation about spirituality and how it connects to happiness. There's a lot of research out there, but there's not nearly enough research, in, uh, in my opinion. Ken, can you tell us a little bit about how you got interested in this area? Well, I went into um, clinical psychology because I was interested in what made people and me tick, and I wanted to make the world a better place. Um, and I received my training in the 1970s, and it was at least somewhat disappointing because I found that the, the major models of the time, Freudian, uh, behavioral, they were fundamentally pessimistic. They, they presented a kind of bleak view of human nature being determined by their early childhoods or their environments and and I wondered how can we help people live uh, more fulfilling lives when our theories were so dark and dismal. Mm-hmm. So um, I was fortunate to work with one of the early pioneers in positive psychology, Forrest Tyler. And I then found myself drawn to studying spirituality, not because I was devout myself, but because I felt like spiritually oriented people were grappling with the questions I was interested in. Why are we here? How should we live our lives? Is there any deeper meaning? Um, what's the nature of the good life? And th- these weren't just intellectual questions for me. I was They're very uh, personal and emotional questions for me and others as well. So I was captivated by the questions, and I continue to be captivated by them. Yeah, for me, those are very personal questions. That's one of the reasons we like uh, I like what we do here at Live Happy, which is really exploring that, getting to enhance, you know, through knowledge growth, my own life. But this question of spirituality is something that we, we struggle with when we're talking to the magazine because, you know, of course, the general population, it's very easy to offend them when you talk about spirituality. Right. Um, whether it's because they have strong beliefs or because they don't have strong beliefs, you know, I find that it's a difficult subject to talk about. One of the questions we re- really struggle with is how to define spirituality in the sense uh, of how it connects well-being. How, how do you define it? Well, I 
wore a dirt track in my backyard pacing around the perimeter for a few years <laughs> to try to come up with a, a definition. I don't think there's any single definition that everyone is happy with. But my own definition um, kind of rests on the assumption that we are, in fact, spiritual as well as psychological, social, and physical beings, and that we come into the world with this capacity to see beyond the surface uh, and the capacity to see more deeply. And to me, that's the essence of spirituality, the ability to see something deeper in life, what I would call something sacred in life, uh, and to form a relationship with whatever that sacredness may be and transform it. Um, and so I, I think of spirituality as, simply put, the, the search for the sacred, what people do to discover, form a relationship with, and sometimes change their relationship with, with an aspect of life that goes beyond themselves. How, how do you differentiate being spiritual from being religious? Well, you know, it's almost a mantra nowadays that people can be spiritual without religious, without being religious. So we do tend to polarize those terms today. And it's true that people can find sacredness outside of traditional religious beliefs, practices, and institutions. You know, many people explore their spirituality through other channels, through music, poetry, loving relationships, uh, personal study and practice. But I think it's also the case that many people do seek the sacred through religious institutions, and that's in fact the most central purpose of a religious institution, to help people form a relationship with the sacred. And even people who pursue spirituality outside of any formal uh, institution, they still need a context, a, a place to nourish their spirituality. So we're seeing a lot of non-traditional spiritual groups and associations today, yoga groups, meditation groups, you know, all kinds. How does focusing on spiritual aspects of life or fostering uh, fostering the sacred in your life, how, do, how does that really manifest itself in promoting health and well-being? Well, you know, spirituality is every bit as complex and, and rich as any other dimension of life, psychological, social, or physical. So there is really you know, several answers to, to the question. I think, first of all, spirituality provides us with an ultimate purpose. Uh, whatever we hold sacred tends to become the central organizing force for our lives. It, it may be a marriage and family, could be work, could be the commitment to making the world a better place, could be our own pursuit of growth, could be serving God. But whatever we hold sacred tends to be the guiding framework for our lives and something that we need to, to have meaningful lives. I think, too, that the spirituality provides us with a distinctive set of resources, um, in the U.S., we're pretty much dominated by uh, kind of the ethos of control. We try to solve problems, fix things, extend our lives. Um, but, you know, the reality is we're frail, finite beings, and there's only so much problem-solving and fixing we can do. And no matter how well we take care of ourselves, the reality is that we all face problems, illness, and no one lives forever. And, and the question is, how do we come to terms with that? Uh, psychology and medicine can only do so much, and I think this is the place that spirituality steps in. It, it provides resources to help us come to terms with our human limitations and our frailty and our finitude, um, things like letting go, practicing the art of acceptance and forgiveness, you know, the value of self-sacrifice, which lies at the heart of being loving. So without resources, of, of this spiritual kind, I think our lives are incomplete. And, and in that way, I think spirituality really adds a 
very distinctive, vital dimension to life. I think in my own life, or in, in you know, where I where I find the most, um, I don't. I'm going to use the word comfort, but I'm not quite sure that's the right word. In um, in spirituality is just the understanding that I don't control everything. That there are certain things that just are not within my control, and that's okay. Um, is is that kind of what is is that uh, an example of what you're talking about? Exactly. You know, we have all kinds of resources to master, develop more control, develop more power in our lives, and they're all very important. I mean, there's, we need to maximize the control we do have. But again, the reality is there's only so much we can control. And part of life is learning how to be gracefully uh, accepting of our limitations, that we can't control everything. And and that the the fact is we we end up beating our head against the wall sometimes when we try to control the uncontrollable. Yeah, I, I get a certain sense of peace by understanding I can't I can't do anything about that, so I'm just not going to try. Um, <laughs> you know, various things from you know running late in traffic to uh, you know worrying about people taking plane rides. You, you just can't control those things. Right, and what spirituality offers is a kind of a graceful way to accept the limitations rather than kind of a maybe a philosophy that may be more fatalistic or even bitter about limitations. So that's the positive aspect of spirituality. Can spirituality ever be harmful? Well, um, I'd say yes. Whether it's helpful or harmful depends on the kind of spirituality we're talking about. And uh, I tend to emphasize really articulating what it is that people hold sacred. There are many sources of sacredness that are, I think, life-enhancing, but some are not life-enhancing. Some can be really destructive. Today we see people worshiping destructive forms of the sacred as well as constructive ones, people, in effect, worshiping violence, despotic leaders, um, or small gods that show compassion only for people from the same faith. And, and we see breakdown in appreciation and respect for the diverse way people see and seek out sacredness. So it becomes a combat zone rather than something that we all share and should join us together. And all of these darker spiritual expressions can set the stage for terrible personal and social problems, as as we see every time we turn on the news in the morning. Well, I think that's I think that's what a lot of what makes a lot of people uncomfortable about this topic is uh, the polarization that you see from the way you phrased it, darker sacred uh, or spirituality it makes people uncomfortable to even talk about this, even though it's uh, even though spirituality can be life enhancing. It makes people fearful of expressing theirs. Well, I think so, which is unfortunate because it seems to me we need to have a very open, um, honest dialogue with each other about what do we mean by the sacred. And how do we end up building greater appreciation for the diverse ways we understand it? I mean, we're all, I mean, my, my, own, my own point of view is we're all, because we're limited human beings, no one has, you know, a completely articulate way of trying to describe, which is what is, um, William James, the famous psychologist, said is ineffable, meaning we can't fully describe it or put it into perfect language because it's something beyond us and we're human beings and we have limited language and tools and skills to describe it. So why can't we learn from each other and kind of see some different ways to approach something as important as spirituality? 
Yeah, and I think a lot of people just assume spirituality does mean religious beliefs. But, um, you know, as we covered earlier in this, that's not necessarily what we're talking about. Um, yes, and, and, and more. Uh, well, exactly. You know, for some people, they're, they find sacredness in nature, in living a good life, in loving relationships, in making the world a better place. And all of these have profound spiritual meaning. What are some practical implications of your work? Um, what, what, what can people take from your, your work um, to help them grow and flourish? Well, I mean, I, in, in my own clinical work, for instance, I encourage people to try to see more deeply. Um, for instance, people who struggle with depression often find themselves disconnected from all of their resources, including their spiritual resources, and to try to help them find that oh, I don't know, that spark within themselves, that sacred potential, and blow on that spark and develop that, that part of themselves. It can help energize and uh, enlighten their lives. So, you know, helping people see the deeper dimensions to themselves is one piece. Another part of it is to teach people to access their spiritual resources. Um, for instance, when I work with couples in counseling, um, you know, typically couples come in with really a litany of complaints. This is grudge collecting at its best, where one person lists his grudges and the partner responds with his or her grudges, and there's no end to that. And how do you access a spiritual resource here? Well, I'd say learning the art of acceptance is important in relationships, too, learning that they're just just as there are things that need to be changed in a relationship, a successful relationship also involves learning to actually accept what can't be changed and to tolerate it in a, in a graceful way. And, and learning that love isn't a feeling as much as it is a way of sometimes putting the other person first. So again, I think these are very spiritually oriented resources that involve not trying to browbeat or or force the other person to be who you want them to be, but also accepting who they are. When people effectively implement um, spirituality, as you've described, in their own lives, what types of results do you see? Maybe I'll tell you a little clinical story. Would that be okay? Perfect. Okay. Well, I remember working with a, a client who was quite depressed. He was working uh, some kind of financial position. He was doing well financially, but was not happy in his work and was actually quite depressed. And I saw him for a number of months and wasn't making good progress with him. And I was trying to find a way to help him, oh, uh, empower himself, add some spark to his life. And I wasn't getting anywhere with him. And one day I finally asked him, I said to him, I'll, I'll just call him Joe. I said, Joe, has there ever been a time in your life when you felt glad to be alive when you felt like you were looking forward to the day with some real enthusiasm. I didn't really phrase the question very well, because you're not supposed to ask questions like that so that a client could just say no. Yeah. <laughs> I was afraid he would. But he didn't. He said, well, uh, there was that time that I flew jets. I said, what? You flew jets? I mean, this guy was the most unlikely looking, or looking and sounding <laughs> jet pilot you would have ever imagined, because he was so dispirited. And he said, yeah, he flew jets when he was in college. He had His parents had given him some flying lessons, and he gradually made his way up the flying chain and, and learned how to fly a small jet. He loved it. I asked him to describe the sensation. He said, well, you know, you get in that cockpit, and you pull back on the stick, and, man, that plane just 
cuts through the sky. He could touch the face of God. That was the most energy I had ever heard from Joe, and it was clearly something of real power for him. And I asked him, Joe, are you still flying jets? And he says, no. I said, how come? He said, I don't know. I just kind of lost touch with it. I said, Joe, we need to get you back in the cockpit. And that's what we did. I worked with him and encouraged him to regain his uh, piloting, his uh, flying certificate. And um, then, and in doing so, we talked about flying, and he regained a lot of energy and enthusiasm. And then we talked about how could he apply that kind of sacred metaphor of flying to the rest of his life, in his work, at business, in his relationships with people, because he hadn't done that. He had lost control of the stick in his life more generally. And that was very helpful. It was very transformational kind of experience for Joe, where he really made tremendous progress with his depression. And I think in part because he located something sacred in himself, not in any traditional uh, theistic way. I don't think Joe was a, a deep believer, but it was something sacred that helped him get in touch with these powerful emotions of wonder and awe and enthusiasm and gratitude. And I think it helped transform his life. That's a fantastic story. Um, and I, I, I'm a daughter of a jet pilot, and I see <laughs> so that description. I see that in my father. Now, he's a positive person. He's not depressed at all, but just that <laughs> yeah. whole, when he talks about flying, he just, he just lights up. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, and he says he touched the face of God when he soars through the clouds. And he, he meant that in a figurative way, not a literal way. But um, he is still, I mean, it, it makes the point that even people who aren't um, traditional theists or God believers also have spiritual experiences. Well, thank you so much um, for being for being with us today on the Live Happy Now podcast. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, it was really enlightening, and and I I love I, I love this topic personally. Uh, I think it's really important in my own life, um, and it's something that's difficult to talk about with other people. And I think you made it a lot easier for us. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I tell my, in, in, I teach graduate students, and I've, I've told them over the years, they said, you know, spirituality is many things, but one thing it should never be is boring. <laughs> well, it's certainly not. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. If you would like a free sketch note of this episode or to learn more about the 10 practices for choosing joy, go to livehappynow.com. We also want to hear from you. So if you took anything away from this podcast, anything at all, Find us on Twitter at LiveHappy. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash LiveHappy on Instagram at MyLiveHappy. And you can send us emails, podcast at LiveHappy.com. We love getting emails from people. It's great. Do so. We love to hear from you. You can also share ideas for things that you would love to hear on the show that we maybe haven't talked about yet. It'd be fantastic. For everybody involved in this episode of Live Happy Now, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long and thank you. And remember to always live happy.